Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Neptune's Chalice, written by M.J. Feinauer. A Machiavellian Tale of Epic Proportions It is the mid-21st century, and the world is recovering from what scholars will refer to as the Jihad War. Nations of the world united to bring a permanent end to radical terrorism. The unification of the nations has also given birth to the popular concept of a governing world union, in which the United States intends to be a major player. The timing could not be any better. A presidential election year is on the horizon, and a faceless rogue element is committed to having one of their own in the White House. There were extreme losses of life and property in the concentrated battle theater of the Middle East. The leading nations of the world emerged victorious over the oppressive extremists that threatened the civil and moral fabric of modern society. The high price of victory was unavoidable. Nuclear weapons were used in order to bring the destructive war to an abrupt end. The United States found itself as the sole military and financial leader of the world's war against the radical terrorists. The war's length lasted far beyond what had been predicted, diminishing many of the United States' resources, specifically its wealth, bringing the proud nation to the brink of bankruptcy. Radiation from the nuclear weapons contaminated 85% of the water supply in the Middle East, and large amounts were now being detected in the Atlantic Ocean. A private and well-funded individual has been anticipating a catastrophe such as this and has spun a web so delicate its victims don't realize they are trapped until it's too late. She has assembled the best minds in order to develop a device that would instantly purify polluted and contaminated water. However, this device is not being developed for humanitarian reasons. It is being developed for wealth and power, not for an individual, but for a nation, the United States of America. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Neptune's Chalice. Neptune's Chalice, Chapter 1 A soft cobalt glow from the holographic data display filled Dr. Thomas Franz's office. As senior lead scientist and project director, he had decided to stay late again, long after his project team had gone home for the weekend. The research and development laboratory that Franz and his team called home for the last five years was nestled in the dense tropical forest near the western coast just north of Lodemarcos, Mexico. Franz briefly allowed himself the luxury to reflect. When all was said and done, it had been an exciting week. The latest test results were extremely positive, and the project team believed they were very close to success. Franz believed they were already there, and was not prepared to undergo further replication or peer review. It was, he reminded himself, supposed to be a project of the highest classification level. It was also especially designed so that each team member worked only on specific aspects of the project, and was not privy to other team members' research. Franz understood that he, and only he, could meaningfully put the puzzle together. All the more reason why he had decided to stay late to compile, collate, and pore over the latest test results once again. 
aided by his supercomputer and several hot cups of strong coffee. Franz drilled deeply into the statistical significance and correlation of the numerous graphs, metadata, and anecdotal observations that had been collected by his team over the past five arduous years. With each passing hour, Franz's heart rate increased. The data he was analyzing brought a wide-eyed expression of confirmed expectation to his eyes. Along with a subtle smile and an occasional subdued guttural laugh, as he read each line of the data summary. Well, hello there, beautiful, he said, as if greeting an elusive love interest. We've done it, he whispered, trying to suppress his excitement. He looked over at the photo of his project team on the corner of his desk as if they were all standing in front of them. He said, My God, people, we have done it. He paused allowing himself the luxury of glaring at the prominent laser-carved marble name plaque on his desk. It was deliberately angled so that he could see it from behind his desk, and that any visitor seated in front of his desk could also see it at the same time. His name and title were dwarfed by the maxim that typified the man, his lifestyle, and his motivation. A quote from Einstein, If A equals success, then the formula is a equals X plus Y and Z, with X being work, Y, play, and Z, keeping your mouth shut. Franz reclined in his chair, allowed his lungs to exhale a breath he hadn't realized he'd been holding, closed his eyes, and reflected on how long it had taken them to reach this point. The sacrifices everyone on his team had made in the past five years were immeasurable. One miscarriage, two divorces, four cases of dysentery, and the accidental amputation of two fingers from their mechanical engineer's left hand. Franz recalled writing up the detailed incident report and then submitting it to the faculty's administrators, waiting for Mexico's Department of Labor and Social Welfare. STPS would soon arrive at his research facility to conduct an independent investigation. In the U.S., the equivalent government agency, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, would already have been banging the doors down to determine the root cause of the accident. The STPS never showed, and the project's financers held no investigation of their own. They compensated the engineer handsomely and replaced him shortly afterwards. Franz never questioned it and continued to work diligently because he knew he was working on something very important something that was bigger than the sum of its parts. His focus stayed on the project, but the isolation he and his team experienced day after day made him even more eager to complete this work and return to the land of the living. With his thoughts still racing, Franz pressed the call button on the telephone console and gave the voice command, Call Sarah, to his loyal direct assistant. Cancel, he said a second later. He knew proper protocol needed to be followed. He first needed to call the one who had financed the project, the one known only as Keeper. Franz took a deep breath to overcome the sudden sense of dread that filled him. He felt the same way he always felt when he had to speak to this woman. He feared her, but could never understand why. Was it her wealth? Perhaps it was her power and influence. Or... Was it her cold, 
blue-eyed, tight-jawed stare that always managed to send a chill up his spine. Whatever it was, he didn't care for the woman, and he didn't like the way she made him feel. He was just grateful that she left him and his team alone. She never dropped by unexpectedly or sent anyone to check on their progress. Franz had always exuded confidence, a trait that benefited the world-renowned scientist that he was. That innate confidence had never deserted him, particularly in his familiar laboratory environment. But even there, in the presence of prominent peers, Franz always felt that she was somehow near, and always knew the status of the project. Franz sighed and spoke again. Call Keeper. As the call was connected, he decided to try and soften her demeanor by the manner in which he would deliver the news. Good evening. May I help you? An operator asked at the other end. Franz was delighted by the mild tenor of the voice and thought, Now her, I could talk to all night. With his confidence rising, he was quick to reply, Madam Keeper, please. May I ask who is calling? She asked. Dr. Thomas Franz, with more than a hint of authority in his voice. One moment, please, said the operator. The call was transferred. There was a moment of silence. Then a female voice said, Yes? Just that single word, spoken with her unmistakable southern accent, was enough to cause a nervous chill to run up Franz's back. He took a deep breath, regained his composure and confidence, and asked, Are you ready to change the world, Madam Keeper? Keeper could not resist the rare opportunity to inflict her form of direct intimidation. Dr. Franz, I ratified your project and endorsed your budget to the tune of circa thirty billion. I want a sizable return on my investment. Now, what do you have for me? she asked. Franz's composure faltered a little. This bitch is cold as hell, he thought. He recovered and said, I want to inform you that Neptune's chalice is a success. A complete and resounding success, ma'am. There was silence. Absolutely no response. Just silence somehow loud and painful. A silence made even noisier by the confusing machinations that were echoing through his mind. Hello? asked Franz. He began to think the call had been disconnected. Hello? he said once again, attempting to enunciate the word with as much clarity as he could possibly muster. There was still no response from the other end. Disappointed, Franz leaned back into his chair. Suddenly, Keeper broke the silence and asked, Have you relayed this information to your team yet? No, ma'am, said Franz. I felt you should be the first to know. Thank you, Dr. Franz, she replied. I'm glad you told me first. I trust your results are conclusive. With his composure and confidence somewhat restored, Franz's reply was more assertive. Yes, ma'am. They most certainly are. My independent groups replicated the process in several multi-phased, randomized, and double-blind in-house studies and field trials. I carried out the statistics myself. 
you could say I authenticated Neptune's chalice. And to cap it all, the system modeling panned out perfectly, and the process was successfully transferred from the test tube to our pilot plant, so to speak. All the measurable parameters were favorable, and we— Keeper interrupted him with a hint of disdain in her voice, but this was not immediately apparent to Franz. Dr. Franz, you are not lecturing one of your academic cronies. Just cut to the chase. Any flaws in the process? Was it good, bad, indifferent, or— One hundred percent flawless, ma'am. For a change, Franz interrupted her. Knowing full well that this time he could get away with it, because he was sharing good news. He reclined back in his chair with a sudden sense of confidence, while trying to hold his own in this most uncomfortable of verbal duels. He knew he could win the short-term battle, but as far as the long-term war was concerned, there could only be one winner, and it would not be him. Franz went on to add, All the indices for our PPE were excellent, ma'am. And what, dare I ask, are the PPE, Franz? Keeper asked. Those, ma'am, are the dozens of built-in product performance evaluations that we use as indicators, Franz answered, adding a little conclusive remark of his own. In my expert opinion, Neptune's chalice is a go. To regain the verbal upper hand, Keeper quickly interjected, Excellent, Dr. Franz. I would like for you to have your entire team assembled in the laboratory on Monday. Let's say 10 a.m., shall we? I believe it is time to celebrate, don't you, Dr. Franz? Stunned that she had even asked him, even though she was by no means seeking his approval, Franz was left momentarily speechless. Well, yes. Yes, of course. Absolutely, ma'am, <laughs> he replied with an uneasy chuckle in his voice. Keeper added, in a somewhat conciliatory manner, but without betraying her more familiar authoritative tone, I will be bringing my photographer and a few media technicians to record everything. This will be a historical moment, and I want it documented for posterity. Is that all right with you, Dr. Franz? Again, she wasn't asking for his permission. Still not believing what he was hearing, Franz replied, almost stuttering his words. Of course, ma'am, it's fine. But I'm not sure if this is the right time to compromise the top security level under which the project was conducted. Franz realized that there might have been a subtle tinge of defiance in his voice. He thought quickly, corrected himself, hoping perhaps the lapse was too subtle for Keeper to have noticed. He was wrong. Keeper cleared her throat. When she next spoke, her tone was forceful and unambiguous. Dr. Franz, your mutinous attitude is duly noted. I want Neptune's chalice done my way. Am I clear? Franz could not overlook her deliberate emphasis on my and quickly accepted that his best option was to acquiesce to her every wish. Your instructions are clear, ma'am, Franz said quickly. After a deliberate pause to allow her words to fully sink in, Keeper said, 
No need to concern yourself with the security of the project at this stage, Dr. Franz. Nothing will be compromised, least of all Neptune's chalice. She added, almost light-heartedly, Right now, Dr. Franz, think celebration and celebration only. Franz, still a little confused, had never seen this side of Keeper before. For a moment he started to wonder if this was an impostor. He forced himself to shake off his sense of incredulity and started to think that maybe, just maybe, this Ice Queen actually had a warm heart beating in her chest. Although, that heart may be deeply embedded. So, we will see everyone Monday, then? Keeper asked. Oh, and by the way, the entire project record and all the data is secured, is it not, Dr. Franz? I assure you, Franz said, everything is secured in the data vault. Very well, then. Congratulations to you and your research team, Dr. Franz. See you Monday. Keeper ended the call with her classic abruptness. Now it was time to call Sarah. Sarah Carver had just finished taking her early evening shower and was making her way to the open-air patio to join her husband Jack for a glass of wine and discuss their plans for the weekend. Sarah, a former professor at Austin University, Texas, was one of the first scientists to expand the research of the FWI, Freshwater Initiative, but lack of funds had brought the research to a sudden halt. Like so many others, Sarah had pursued her passion by helping whomever she could, whenever she could, in the pursuit of a groundbreaking discovery to help humanity. Her simple altruistic exploits overshadowed her career aspirations, to the continual annoyance of her husband. Jack Carver was a struggling landscape artist who thought that with Sarah's proven intellect and just a bit more selfish ambition, as far as her career was concerned, the sky was the limit. But Sarah's newfound source of income helped pacify whatever tensions his own lack of opportunities may have caused in their marriage. Stretched out on her lounge chair, Sarah gave a voice command to answer the incoming call and to include the holographic display option. She had never denied the uncanny enjoyment of being able to look at whomever she spoke to during a call, but she didn't care to be on display herself. Jack said it was a hidden fetish of hers, but she was always quick to defend the act by saying it very much depended on whom was on the other end of the call. In this instance, the holographic screen showed the distinctive, bespeckled image of Dr. Thomas Franz. Hello, boss, was Sarah's enthusiastic greeting. Okay, Sarah, cut the formality. Franz was quick to offer a mild reprimand and at the same time to provide her with a well-received assurance. This is a person-to-person -person call on a secure line. Hope I'm not interrupting anything. Not at all, Thomas. Sarah raised her glass so Franz could see it. So, what's up, Doc? She quipped. With the usual formalities finally out of the way, Franz was quick to reply. Prepare to pour yourself several more of those tonight, my dear. I've been going over the latest test results. 
Are you ready to change the world, Professor Emeritus Sarah Carver, Assistant Director? Sarah sat up in her lounge chair slowly and eased closer to the holographic image. Whenever Franz referred to her by her title and full name, it was time to pay attention. What's happened, Thomas? Sarah asked, looking quizzically at Franz's lifelike holographic image. We've done it, Sarah. The results are conclusive. It's pure, said Franz in his usual measured voice. Jack remained unmoved by the pair's conversation. Choosing the moment to retreat through the patio's sliding glass door to refill his glass. Sarah knew exactly what Thomas was alluding to, and her heart rate rose accordingly. She had to hear it again, and in no uncertain terms, too. Struggling to put the words together, because she knew precisely the impact this would have on the world, Sarah asked, What did you say, Thomas? Thomas was ready to provide the detailed answer she half expected. It's pure, Sarah. Neptune's chalice is a total success. Sarah eased back once again into her lounge chair with a smile extending from ear to ear and an overwhelming sense of accomplishment and pride. So, what happens now, Thomas? Sarah asked. Well... I have already called Keeper. She is just as excited as we are, but will not necessarily show it in the same way. She will be here Monday. She wants to thank the entire team personally. She's bringing her PR people, photographer, camera crew, everyone. This is a historical event, Sarah, and as difficult as it might be for you, you'll just have to be nice and play along. You're going to be famous. I guess so. Sarah said, knowing exactly whom Franz was referring to, while making no attempt to disguise the disdain in her voice. But you know how I feel about the Queen Bee. She doesn't like me, and I don't like her. Nobody likes you, Sarah, Franz said. You're a horrible person. Sarah laughed. Piss off, Thomas. Don't worry, you'll be fine. Her visit will only last a few hours at the very most. Then she'll leave, and we can all let our hair down and go out and celebrate. After that, the real work will begin. Doing what? Sarah asked. Thomas paused and tried to be serious. Well, let's see. There will be all the speaking engagements, television interviews, press releases, book and movie contracts. Sarah felt she had to interrupt. Oh, please, Thomas. Just have the Queen Bee give me a nice bonus and a gentle pat on the back, and I'll be on my merry way. I leave the plaudits and the limelight for you and the rest of the team. Always the modest one, eh, Sarah? Franz interjected. Anyway, could you contact the rest of the team over this weekend for me and tell them to be at the lab first thing Monday morning? Tell them to look fresh and dress smart. At least for Monday. Let's get back to our official dress code. It's going to be a long, big day for all of us. Will do, boss. Consider it done, Sarah said. See you Monday, Sarah. With that, Franz ended the call. And at her end, 
Franz's holographic image fizzled into a haze and then disappeared into the background of the patio. Sarah reached for the glass of wine that Jack had discreetly refilled and started to think. Television? Movies? The sliding door to the patio opened, and Jack stepped out again. He found the flushed glow of her face too obvious to ignore for long. Good news from Dr. Franz? Jack asked. Raising her glass to him, Sarah began to beam further, as if in heat. Jack, darling, I'm going to be famous. Monday morning finally arrived, bringing in a tropical depression from the western coast of the Pacific Ocean. The rain was light, but Franz's concerns were growing heavier as he drove to the laboratory. The last thing he wanted to happen was for Keeper to postpone her visit. For most of the team, that would be like telling children that Santa Claus wouldn't be coming Christmas Eve simply because it was snowing. Knowing his team as well as he did, the party would continue no matter what. The thought brought a smile to his normally tight jaw. It wouldn't surprise him if most of the crew, if not all of them, were drunk by 10 a.m. anyway, given the news. Franz pulled into the driveway leading to the laboratory, which sat well away from the road in a secluded tropical setting. This was his least favorite part of his daily commute to the laboratory. If it weren't for his old, faithful, and reliable 2039 Ford X500 all-terrain, two-seater vehicle, safely bringing him through the heavy foliage, unrelenting terrain, and winding, narrow, single-lane roads, he would have to consider the use of tireless pack mules to get him to and from work each day. Franz's trusty Ford once again made it to the end of the treacherous laboratory entrance road. As if the gods were granting Franz's wish for drier weather, the rain stopped. To his surprise, everyone was already at the laboratory. This, too, brought a smile to Dr. Franz's usually stoic face. As he stepped out of his Ford, a voice called, Dr. Tom! It was Thomas's youngest chemist, Brooke Stevens. Brooke had started to address Thomas as Dr. Tom shortly after she joined the team. It was not out of disrespect, more out of a deep-seated and sincere admiration. She looked on him as a mentor and, at times, a father figure. Franz knew that. He never had a daughter of his own. He'd never had any children, for that matter. He liked the way Brooke made him feel, genuinely important and fatherly. That is why he allowed it, since no protocol was being breached. Unfortunately, in no time whatsoever, the nickname had caught on, and everyone else on the team began to call him Dr. Tom as well. Before he could reach back inside his vehicle for his computer, Brooke handed him a long-stemmed glass filled with champagne. He noticed that the bubbles were still rising to the top of the glass and overflowing with some vigor, indicating that it was freshly poured. As he took the glass from her, she raised hers to his for an impromptu toast. Congratulations, Dr. Tom. I am honored to have worked with you, Brooke said, resting her hand on his shoulder and pulling his slender six-foot-inch frame down to her level. Given her somewhat diminutive frame, she had to stand on her tiptoes to give him a gentle, innocent kiss on the cheek. Nothing more needed to be said. They looked at each other for a few short seconds, 
as a father and daughter would, with pride and love exuding from every pore. Then they touched their glasses together to complete the toast. Brooke gazed deep into the eyes of her mentor. She was a modest and rather shy young woman, but an endearing smile ushered in a slight blush to her cheeks. Once again, her childlike display of modesty managed to steal another piece of Dr. Thomas Franz's heart. She proceeded to wrap her arm around Franz's, to escort him inside to join the others. With a deliberate and gentle motion, Franz closed the door to the Ford X-500, his other long-time pride and joy, and was allowing Brooke to lead the way when he realized he had left his computer in the vehicle. Wait, said Franz, my computer. As soon as the words had left his lips, Franz realized he had just revealed that he had broken one of the strictest rules of the project. No unauthorized project material was to be taken out of the facility, especially computers. Brooke did not let go of his arm. She gently tugged him away from the Ford and said, I'm giving you the day off, Dr. Tom. Leave the computer. It's time to party. Their eyes met once again, and knowing that his computer was securely stowed away in the vehicle's secret compartment, Franz realized that resistance was futile. With a warm and timely smile from Franz to compliment hers, he said, All right, Brooke, let's party. Brooke and Franz swung open the doors to the main lab of the facility, both of them raising their glasses as they leisurely sauntered into the room. Without the need for further prompting, a spontaneous shower of applause broke out from the rest of the team members. Chants of, Dr. Tom! Dr. Tom! filled the room. Franz knew this group was already well on their way to being intoxicated, despite the fact that it was only nine o'clock in the morning. With that in mind, the nagging thought of the pending visit by Keeper kept surfacing. That would be all he needed, for one of the inebriated guys on the team to slap Keeper on the ass when she walked by. That would be something I would not want to miss, he thought, as his straight-laced side took a back seat for a moment. It was going to be a long and unpredictable day. Franz graciously acknowledged their applause drew himself up to his full, imposing height, stepped forward with a single stride, and stood before them to give a speech. Before he decided to speak, he took a cursory glance over the group. It became immediately apparent that Sarah had effectively gotten the word out about the need to return to the facility's proper dress code. The multiracial, multicultural fashion stood out brightly. Franz had always been a good extemporaneous speaker, and this was no exception, as the words came easily to him as he spoke. First, I would like you all to know that this will be the first and last time I will allow my entire staff to be drunk on the job, but on this occasion, you all deserve it. He raised his glass to honor them. Secondly, I want to thank each and every one of you for the endless hours of work and the heartfelt dedication you have given to this project. I know that what we have created here will not only save the lives of millions of people around the world, but it will also change the course of history. All of you should be proud of your accomplishments. I know I am proud and honored to have had this opportunity to work with all of you. 
Our lives will never be the same again. As Franz raised up his glass once more, the entire staff followed up with loud applause in what appeared to be almost choreographed unison. To Neptune's chalice! Franz had to shout in order to be heard above the applause, and that was a rarity to behold, because he rarely raised his voice above a few decibels. To the chalice! Sarah responded. The rest of the team responded in a likewise manner. To the chalice! Franz glanced over to Brooke and gave her a discreet wink and a smile. She responded in kind. Two hours passed without anybody seeming to realize it. The champagne continued to flow, and its effects were making themselves felt. Thankfully, someone had had the presence of mind to bring some finger food, which helped to delay the inevitable intoxication. Sarah saw that Franz had managed to find a quiet corner in the room and decided to join him. As she approached, she noticed that he seemed to be deep in thought. He didn't see her coming. Even when she was standing right next to him, he still seemed unaware of her presence. Sarah slowly leaned into his line of sight and said, Are you all right, boss? A penny for your thoughts. Oh, sure, Sarah, I'm fine, Franz said as he patted the back of her hand that was on his arm to further reassure her. So, when is the Queen Bee supposed to be here? Sarah asked. Franz was ready with a dry reply. Well, I guess that depends on what her means of transportation is these days. Plane, train, helicopter, or broom. Sarah took a moment to fully digest what Franz had just said. Once she did, she looked at him in disbelief because Franz had never spoken disrespectfully of Keeper to her. At least, not in earshot of anyone of note. With that, Franz followed it up by giving Sarah a devilishly boyish smile. She chuckled at Franz. I need to get you drunk more often, boss. Suddenly, the main doors to the lab swung open. Two emotionless men stood at each door to hold them open. In walked Keeper with wide, firm strides. She was strikingly tall, built like a greyhound, and wore her brunette hair brushed back, hair to match her aggressive demeanor. She gave away very few clues, if any, as to what was within her stern exterior and beneath that firm, busty frame. Her entrance was calm and without fanfare, as if she were a woman who wouldn't leave the trace of a footprint in fresh snow. In contrast to her measured tread, her supporting technician stomped in with a force that could put cracks in well-cured concrete. Their presence was felt by everyone. Keeper was all business, and Sarah was probably the first to comment, albeit only an earshot of Franz. Buzz... Sarah chuckled in Franz's direction, in a rather feeble attempt to mimic a honeybee, specifically of the queen variety. Behave, Franz whispered to her, while putting his index finger to his lips to signal her to hush. He sat his glass down and made his way to greet Keeper. It would become apparent, once the two of them stood side by side, that Keeper was one of the very few individuals who could physically see eye to eye with Thomas Franz. From a political standpoint, they could not be any more diametrically opposed. Keeper knew too well, and with only the occasional need to remind herself, 
that she had hired friends for his scientific intellect, and most certainly not because of his political liberalism. Welcome, ma'am, said Franz, while extending a stiff, open hand in greeting. Dr. Franz, so good to see you again, said Keeper, as she shook his hand. Franz immediately noticed several men coming in behind her, wheeling in metallic equipment trunks and strapped leather cases. What's all this? Franz asked, looking somewhat puzzled by the sheer volume and size of the equipment. Keeper quipped back at Franz to reassure him. We will be recording and photographing today, Dr. Franz. I had already briefed you on it, remember? This is a historical event, and we need it recorded for posterity. Yes, of course, replied Franz, mildly embarrassed but looking more reassured. I'm sorry, I guess I was taken aback by the sheer volume of all the hardware you've brought. One of the young men approached Keeper and asked, Where will we be setting up, ma'am? Not knowing what accommodations and provisions were available, Keeper looked at Franz, redirecting the question to him. Franz was caught unaware, and was looking at the equipment that was being brought in. He failed to notice that Keeper was looking straight at him and waiting for his direction. With some sternness in her voice, Keeper looked at Franz and said, Dr. Franz? Ma'am? Franz asked innocently. Sounding annoyed already, Keeper asked, I defer to you. Where can they set up for the shoot? I'm terribly sorry, said Franz in a genuinely apologetic voice, as he quickly scanned the main lab and decided that a vacant space at the edge of the floor would be perfect to accommodate all the technicians and their array of equipment. Just there would be perfect, ma'am he said, as he pointed to the desired location. The men proceeded to maneuver the trunks and cases to the space at the edge of the room that Franz had suggested. Once the work was finished and everyone began to get comfortable with all the new faces in the room, Franz asked Keeper if she would like to say a few words to the team. She gave him a casual nod of agreement and stepped away from him and into an open space near the center of the room. She stood in the open space, nonchalantly surveying the gathering. There was no immediate response from the group. Franz realized that this was his cue to step forward and into the limelight. Franz stepped to her side and addressed the otherwise inattentive crowd. Everyone? Franz began his announcement as the room gradually fell silent. Everyone, may I have your attention, please? Our honorable and gracious guest would like to say a few words. Ma'am? There was a faint sprinkling of applause. Franz assumed the cool reception was due to the fact that almost everyone had a glass in their hand. Either that or his team disliked her as much as he did. He decided on the latter. Thank you, Dr. Franz, began Keeper. She left a deliberate pause. This was a common ploy and appeared to give her some degree of delight as it helped demonstrate her innate power. She used the pause to survey the team, which by this time had dispersed into subgroups of scientists, engineers, and associated support crew. Keeper eventually picked up her speech, but only at her pace. I would like to take this opportunity to extend my gratitude to each and every one of you today. 
This project was initially designed to take ten years, but because of your dedication, commitment, and personal sacrifices, it was completed in five. That is an extraordinary saving in funding, which will be passed on to you as a sizable bonus and a show of my appreciation. Everyone began to look at one another with wide-eyed smiles. They were warming up to her, and spontaneous applause broke out, which quickly spread throughout the crowd like an uncontrollable contagion. Thoughts of what they would be able to do with a significant sum of money began to race around in their minds. Keeper chose to wait for the noise to subside and continued, Also, I must reserve a special mention for your intrepid research director, Dr. Thomas Franz. Again, the room erupted in applause, followed by a low, audible chant, Dr. Tom, Dr. Tom, Dr. Tom. This left Franz blushing, but he still managed to force a smile and raised his hand in reluctant acceptance of the accolade. Keeper didn't wait for the chanting to subside. She continued in a louder voice, as if attempting to drown out the group with her own seniority. Dr. Franz was able to assemble an international group of scientists, engineers, and support crew, the best of the best, a true dream team of the greatest minds available of the mid-21st century. The likes of this group have never been seen before and will never be seen again. As prophetic as her words were, they fell on deaf ears. As you can see, Keeper continued, we have brought recording and photographic equipment with us today to capture this historical event. Please give these gentlemen a moment to unpack and set up the equipment, and then we can get started. Your full cooperation would be appreciated. Keeper turned sharply and gave a firm nod to the recording technicians. They acknowledged her and began to open the trunks and cases. Thomas and the entire team, like a migrating herd of wildebeests, instinctively came together in the center of the room to congratulate each other again. Franz eventually broke away from the team to find Brooke. She may also have been looking for him, so they never knew who found whom, not that it really mattered to either of them. Franz and Brooke approached one another, and without a noticeable prompt, delivered a soft embrace to each other. She was so very happy as was he. At that point, someone dropped a champagne flute, and the crash of shattering glass was evident above the background chatter. Franz turned in the direction of the uproar and saw that it was Sarah. She stood, frozen in the center of the room, staring in the direction of Keeper and the technicians, with a look of terror shining in her eyes. Seconds earlier, the atmosphere had been much like a festive street market, Within an instant, an agonizing silence filled the room. Oh, Jesus Christ! cried out another member of the team. As if on cue, the entire project team turned in the direction of Sarah's terrified stare to see what had caught her transfixed gaze. Flanked on either side of her, Keeper's technician stood with small, automatic weapons pointing directly at all of the members of the project team. In a last-ditch effort to protect his newfound daughter, Franz slowly stepped in front of Brooke to shield her. Brooke began to cry as she moved closer to Franz and rested her head on his back, 
whimpering like a frightened little girl. She knew there would be just so much Franz could do, but his gesture gave her the comfort she needed at that very moment. In a sudden rush of sobriety, the sight of gun-toting men quickly caused the drunken effects of the champagne to subside. With some assertiveness in his voice, Thomas began to speak. What the hell is... He was interrupted by Keeper as she snapped back at him in no uncertain terms. Silence, she said, like a field general trying to console her battle-hardened troops. Keeper continued the stern rebuke. You will all be remembered and honored as the true patriots that you were. Keeper referred to them in the past tense, and, as if further confirmation was needed of their impending fate, it provided an unmistakable clue to their inevitable destiny. Oh, hell no! Franz shouted in defiance. Keeper turned her back to the project team and began to walk toward the double-door exit leading to Franz's office. Once she reached the technicians, she gave them a cold-blooded, affirmative nod. The weapons barely made a sound. Their deadly whispers swept from side to side, striking the team down one by one. The vicious slap of bullets into flesh were louder than the weapons themselves. They found their hitherto unsuspecting human targets with an uncanny marksman's precision, indiscriminately piercing soft flesh and hard bone in their path and leaving a spattering sea of blood in their wake. Franz took an immediate strike to the chest. The ultra-high-velocity bullet found its way through his chest and into the side of Brooke's head. The precision of the technician's aim did not afford anyone the opportunity to run. The executions were carried out quickly and efficiently. Within seconds, all fourteen members of the project team lay dead on the spot where they had clustered. Some continued to clutch their champagne glass, perhaps out of optimism, maybe naivete, or perhaps both. The occasion that had started off as a jubilant celebration of Neptune's chalice concluded as a grim wake for its creators. Franz and his project team had shared many laughs, scientific breakthroughs, and personal witticisms, and more recently even a few glasses of mediocre champagne. But never... In their wildest dreams did they think for one moment that they'd share their own deaths. In an ironic twist of fate, they were embraced and united in death, an act that could have only been discreetly implied in life. Their contorted bodies were entwining together. Thomas lay on his back, his eyes wide open as if peering at the ceiling, and Brooke lay next to him as if asleep. The technicians walked around the bodies to ensure that no one was left alive. Keeper waited patiently in Thomas Franz's office, and in another act of deep contempt towards Franz, she reclined in his chair, while nonchalantly glaring at his laser-engraved plaque with Einstein's quote. A tap, and the quick opening of the office door broke Keeper from her stare. "'We are ready to proceed, ma'am,' said the technician. Good, said Keeper. Access the data vault and sweep it clean. Stage the bodies and burn everything. Don't leave any trace. Yes, ma'am, replied the technician as he turned and left the room. The technicians were very thorough. Every piece of data pertaining to the project was taken. The bodies of the team were carefully staged in a way to give the impression that they had been trapped and unable to escape an accidental fire that had originated in the laboratory. 
Once all the details had been carried out in accordance with Keeper's explicit instructions, the entire research facility was set ablaze with ultra-high-temperature laser-induced flamethrowers. Any evidence of the executions, including the research equipment, DNA, and deadly blood-stained bullets, were quickly turned to amorphous ashes in the intense heat of the inferno. The remains of the entire laboratory, like the sacred byproducts from a crematorium, were reduced to neutral, unrecognizable gray dust. Evidence of the blaze was seen by residents living on the outskirts of Lode Marcos and was reported to the local authorities. Lode Marcos's police department had been severely understaffed in recent months, and crime levels were on the rise. But the fire meant that the department had to dispatch most of their officers due to the severity of the incident. Arriving first on the scene was Police Sergeant Francisco Flores. Flores was a career police officer with a wife, son, and two daughters, one of whom was studying at the University of Southern California. Flores's first impression of the fire scene was not a favorable one. He noticed several vehicles, all of which were all-terrain jeeps or trucks, had been left untouched by the inferno that destroyed what had once been a large research laboratory. They were spared the same fate as the building, only because they were parked in the courtyard, a hundred yards from it. In his experience, this could only mean one thing. The owners of these vehicles had not made it out of the hellish trap alive. Unit 211 to dispatch? There was no reply. Unit 211 to dispatch? Still no reply. Anna, my dear, where are you? Sergeant Flores mumbled to himself. He concluded that Anna, the department's lone dispatcher, had had her hands full with another call and was unable to acknowledge him. Sergeant Flores decided to begin his investigation by checking the inside of each vehicle, beginning with the closest one to him, Thomas Franz's Ford X-500. Anticipating finding the vehicle locked, Flores lifted the driver's side door handle, only to find that it wasn't, and the door swung open with ease. The inside of the Ford was well-kept and orderly, and Flores climbed in to take a closer look inside. Looking for any source of identification, the sergeant started by flipping the sun visors down. There was nothing. Center console, also nothing. He could see a narrow side pocket running along the bottom of the driver's door. He ran his hand along it, but came up empty. The sergeant began to think that this was one of the most orderly and neat vehicles that he had ever searched. He reached for the glove compartment door, thinking that there had to be something in there, at least. As soon as he lifted the door latch on the compartment, the contents held inside came spewing out like water being poured from a pitcher. Chewing gum, bite-sized candy, breath fresheners, pens, reading glasses, receipts, hand sanitizers, a brush, a few seashells and an obsolete musical thumb drive of Bach. As Sergeant Flores stared at the entire contents of the compartment, lying in a heap on the floorboards of the Ford, he muttered, So much for organization. As he reached for the musical thumb drive, he could only think of how long it had been since he'd actually seen one of those. Thumb drives had been replaced by pin drives 16 years ago. As he picked up a few pieces of paper, he saw they were receipts from restaurants, grocery stores, and the like. While brushing the pieces of paper aside, 
he noticed that the area underneath the passenger seat was closed off, while the one underneath the driver's side seat was open. The intensive police training and years of experience told him that this lack of symmetry meant there was a good chance that there might be a hidden compartment under the passenger seat. Flores ran his fingers along the face of the enclosed area in search of a latch or lever of some kind. Unable to find any device to help him gain entry, he simply pushed on the panel face, and the panel gently opened, as if on well-oiled hinges. Inside the narrow, padded compartment was Dr. Franz's personal computer. Franz had designed and built the compartment so he would have a safe storage area inside the Ford for the computer. It would also prevent the computer from taking any sudden jolts or shocks from the rough ride to and from work each day. More importantly, it was a perfect hiding spot for transporting the computer from the laboratory. Dr. Franz did this daily, despite knowing it was a violation of the project's protocol. The discovery prompted Sergeant Flores to sit up and look around to see if there was anyone around watching him. There was no one. He was alone. In his 18 years as a police officer, Flores had never done anything to bring dishonor to his position, himself, or his family, until today. He was a hard-working husband and father, who did everything in his power to provide for his family and give his children every opportunity to succeed in life, starting with his eldest daughter, Pepper, by sending her to a university that would enable her to fulfill her dreams. Unfortunately, he couldn't give her everything she needed while she was at college, but he tried. One thing he wanted her to have was her own computer. Francisco, he said out loud, the way his mother used to call for him. What are you thinking? he asked himself. He stared straight ahead out of the windshield of the Ford and sat there quietly for a moment. Forgive me, Mama, he said, clutching the computer in his hand as he got out of Franz's vehicle. He placed the confiscated computer in the trunk of his police car and tried once again to contact dispatch. Unit 211 to dispatch. The local Mexican authorities would report the incident in their media as an unfortunate accidental fire in an obscure American research laboratory on Mexico's secluded west coast, north of Lodemarcos. A fire in which all the laboratory's occupants had perished. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Neptune's Chalice. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.